0: I don't know about you guys, but I get really tired of the whole politically correct movement. Any of you guys tired of something? Let's just stop beating around the bush. Let let's get to the point. I think sometimes we get into that politically correct stuff, not just with politics, but even even with. The core of our faith. I, I remember talking to Scott Madsen one time. He went to an Easter service and he walked away scratching his head, so completely frustrated because the, the theme of the, the guy's message this was the core. No mention of the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. As we look at the flowers and the, the birds, Easter reminds us of renewal. That was his message. <laughs> And you, you hear stuff like this, and it's like, can we just get to the point, stop being politically correct, tell me the truth. Peter was that kind of guy. <laughs> when we dive into Peter's sermon here, this is the second half, you, you heard the first half last week, the spirit came and there's a sound of rushing wind and, and Flames of fire, and these men spoke in different languages, so he was set up great by God. This supernatural stuff going on, and, and Peter begins to preach, and obviously the audience is captive. But you're going to see tonight he's direct and to the point, and I think that's part of why it was effective. He didn't beat around the bush. I was talking to Matt, my, my brother. We grew up in the same youth group, and we went through the youth group for six years each, junior high and high school, and there's only one message that we remember from youth group. I asked him tonight, I said, do you remember any other message than this one? He's like, no. And it was, it was this older guy, I, he was like 80 years old. And he maybe that's part of why it's memorable, but I think you'll see more. There's more to it than that. He would come into our group in a suit and tie, which so it wasn't how he dressed. He wasn't cool per se. He wasn't like, hey, that guy's cool. It was his message was about sexual purity. And he would come in. Maybe part of why I remember too is because he'd come in once a year and preach this. But his basic message. He would come in in his low gruff voice, and he would say, gentlemen. I've got one thing to say to you about sexual purity. A hard penis has no conscience. <laughs> I remember that 25 years later and you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna remember that the rest of your lives unfortunately or maybe fortunately it was right to the point, right? I mean we will not forget that message because he cut in there and told us what we needed to hear. I appreciate that about him. Did we all turn red-faced and look at each other and say, wow, that guy's 80 and he said that? Yeah, there was some of that, but we will never forget it because he got right to the heart of the message. I appreciate people that do that for me. Like, let's just cut to the chase. Peter was one of those guys. And You'll remember that the scene was thousands of, of Jews gathered around. They had, they had seen the supernatural stuff going on. These are the very Jews that had cried out, Crucify Jesus, crucify him. And Peter stands up, part two of his message. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Now I want to break this down a little bit. The the Jesus of Nazareth part, those are two words or just that whole phrase Jesus of Nazareth. is kind of spiritualized for us today because generally in America we don't name our kids Jesus anymore. You go down to Mexico, you, you meet some Jesuses. But Jesus as a name has been sort of set apart for us. And Jesus of Nazareth has too. Back in that day, there were a lot of people named Jesus. So this is like saying, you know, Joe from Paulden You know, that's how Jesus of Nazareth sounded sounded to them. He's, he's another man like you. That's what he said. He was a man. Jesus of Nazareth was a man. Accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Miracles is sort of a general word. Wonders has a more specific meaning of, of something done that people see and And it causes them to stop and say, holy cow, did you see that? That was amazing. And then signs is another word. Just as it says, Bill, here's your sign. You know, a sign is there to point you to something, right? Just like street sign or whatever, some of those miracles pointed people to the fact that Jesus was Lord and Messiah. And then he says, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. That last line is important. These people were, were around, many of them, when Jesus was alive. Peter's saying, you guys saw this stuff. This wasn't done in secret. You, you saw him feed the 5,000. You saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. This was no secret. Jesus was accredited by God to you by these miracles, wonders, and signs. That's why he did those. Not just to show his power, but to show who he was. I believe, I don't know about you, that that he is still in the business of doing this in our world today. I heard a story just last week that, that I asked Jim to come share for just a moment. I believe God's still out there doing miracles and wonders and signs to remind people that Jesus is the Messiah. And I want Jim to come. He talked to a buddy who went to a missions trip to Indonesia?
1: No, India.
0: India, okay. He's going to get a microphone. Just check this out. And you tell me if this doesn't fit that wonders and signs yes, there. Steve,
1: man, it's kind of weird up here with these lights.
0: It's like a train coming at you. Yeah, it is.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but you can't see all the sneers and smirks no, that way can. too.
1: Um, some of you guys may know Steve Reed and his family. They decided as a family to go to India. And on that trip, I, I saw Steve when he came back because we were in a lot of prayer for him. But he said the amazing things he saw over there. And one that he really saw was the expectancy of the Holy Spirit to show up. The people were totally expecting it all the time. And they went to one of the churches there and they had a testimony from one of the brothers. And um, it was a newly saved man that was first looking for somebody to heal his wife. They were trying to have kids and um, she continued to bleed and there was problems that she could not have children. And he was going around asking and he finally found someone that he thought was referred to him that knew somebody that could heal his wife. He traveled all over, and the man said, I I know someone, but I know someone even greater. Let me introduce you to him. And he introduced him to Jesus Christ, and he became saved on that day. And they prayed over him, and he told his wife, and his wife, back where she was at, says, that's incredible, honey, because I was healed today. And he said, well, what time was that? And he said, well, it was 12.30. He goes, that's amazing, because that's when I gave my heart to the Lord. And so from there, they've had five kids. And what was really neat about the story was he went home, took all his gods, the Hindu gods, the Buddha, and he started throwing them in the fire from, right in front of his family. And his family's going, what are you doing? Are you, are you crazy? These are our gods. He says, if they are our gods, then they will come out of the fire, if they are truly gods. And he said, I'm serving and, and worshiping a true God that healed my wife. <laughs>
0: Isn't That's that incredible. awesome? <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Can we give God a round of applause? For me? So people saw that wonder, that sign. His wife saw that wonder, that sign. He saw it, and they said, I believe in Jesus. That's the same thing that Peter's saying here. You saw what Jesus did. You need to believe that he's Lord. You need to believe that he's Messiah. But he goes on, and this is where his message gets really pointed. I mean, just listen to the boldness of Peter. He's not worried about poles here, evidently. Check out what he says. He says, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Sometimes we hesitate to talk about anybody's guilt when we talk to them about Jesus, right? We don't want to go there because that's uncomfortable. Peter looks at these people and says, you nailed them to the cross. There's another chapter in the book of Acts where they say it more pointedly. They say, you killed the author of life. You imagine standing before a crowd and, and telling them that? But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I wonder what the crowd's thinking at this point. What's going through their mind? I see two sides of something here, though, that we need to camp on for a little bit. And you guys tell me if you see it too. You see, on the one hand, that God is obviously behind what happened with Jesus on the cross, it says it was God's set purpose. It was his foreknowledge, right? It's kind of like what Jesus said. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down and I will take it up again of my own accord. God was in control through that whole dark moment. And you talk about a dark moment. Look how dark it is. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Was there ever a darker moment of injustice and cruelty? The Son of God Himself was tortured the most painful way known to man by the ones He had created. You talk about a dark moment, and yet you see it was God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and still you see these men did what they did. And you say, How does that work? I don't know completely. I heard one great example from David Jeremiah because sometimes we wrestle with this in our own lives, right? We look at the dark moments or we look at even things like an election or a tough boss or or maybe it's something worse like a severe illness in our lives, a broken relationship. And we say, "How how do these things fit? Like, how is it that God's in control here but these people are still doing this awful thing. And David Jeremiah painted this great picture that, that people are really like ants on a log. You know, we have freedom to move around on the log and, and interact with each other, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. But, but this particular log is, is floating down a river. Okay, and the ants really, at the end of the day, do they have any ability to, to shape where that log lands no, the, the river decides that, right? They make decisions on that log, but at the end of the day, it's the river that decides where that log is going. Obviously, the point of his illustration was the entire plan of the universe, God is the river. He, he's guiding it where he wants us to go. Does he give us a limited amount of freedom within that, on that log to make decisions and Decisions that are meaningful. I don't want to say they're not meaningful because we could spend a whole other sermon saying that. But at the end of the day, you know, whether it's the election, going with that illustration, Barack Obama and Mitt Romney are ants on the log. The log is still going where, where God wants it to go. That, that boss you have is an ant on the log. He may be treating you a certain way, but God is still taking that log where He wants it to go. Even you and I are ants on that log, and we may not like the sound of that at first. But there's some comfort that I find in even that idea, because guess what? Like like you, I screw up. There are days where I'm high, and there are days w- not uh, <laughs> not physically. But uh, you know, I have my good days and my bad days. This is not a confession. <laughs> this week I had a day where I was really discouraged. Um, you guys may have these days where the enemy comes at you. I shared this with Scott and Aaron Friday morning. We meet every Friday and pray. Some of those times he comes, it, it, it's a short time and you feel discouraged hours, and it goes away. This week there were like two or three days where I, I described it. It felt like. Somebody had their claws in my heart And they were just dragging them across All the wind was getting sucked out of my sails And the lowest day that I was feeling that I got a call from one of our missional community leaders And she left a message And she said, you know what Scott I just want to share some awesome stuff that God is doing We have five believers in our missional community And eleven unbelievers are coming every week right now And we're in John chapter 5 this week Looking at who Jesus is and I looked at the juxtaposition of those two things like how discouraged I was and what God was still doing and I was like man, I I told the elders excuse my maybe crassness I said man, that was encouraging because just to know even when I feel like crap God's still doing his thing (laughs) because I'm an ant on the log but he's guiding that log it's not about you it's not about me ultimately it's about what he's up to I love that. And often uh, when we think of those trials in our lives and try to figure out how is it that that God's in control of this, but this is still happening. Sometimes we want to get angry at God, like he's in control of this, this whole thing and this is still happening. But I thought about it this week, do we really want the alternative like something happens in our lives Somebody does something to us Or harms us or does something to us And God's like Oh I'm sorry I, I didn't see that coming I was watching YouTube when that guy was jumping from the edge of space You know everybody's watching that And I want to see how fast he was going to get to the land And I missed that whole thing going on in your life I'm sorry Next time I'll try to do a better job Of, of uh, paying attention and being in control Do, do we want that? Do we want a God who's sort of like, oops, <laughs> sorry. No. no, we want a God who's completely in control because what, what kind of promises can we hold on to then? The, the promise that God works all things together for good to those who love him. We may not like that he allowed it, but we can trust that he's working it for our good. It doesn't mean that he's cold and removed when we go through that. He's close to the brokenhearted. He hears their cries. He collects our tears in a bottle. But it's more than that. He's in control. You see that in this situation. While men and God somehow worked together to pull off the crucifixion, God alone took care of the second part. So God, well let me say but. That's a big but right there, right? But God raised him from the dead. Freeing him from the agony of death. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What an awesome, awesome bringing beauty out of the ashes, huh? I love that. That last line always reminds me of something I saw on my patio once. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. It was about a month or two ago. I was on the back patio and I saw a a lizard eating a moth and the lizard was about this big and the moth was about this big (laughs) and I watched for half an hour as the lizard had the moth's head in its mouth and and the the moth kept flapping its wings and I watched it for half an hour until I couldn't watch anymore because it was getting disgusting after half an hour but that moth was still alive and my guess is at some point the lizard said man it's impossible for me to hold on to this stupid moth because it's just too big. Death couldn't hold Jesus because, as Peter said, this is the author of life. And death is the wages of sin. And while while Jesus, God in flesh, had our sin upon himself, he had no sin of his own for death to to hold on to. Death could not hold him. God was in control. How many of us think of those moments like that as darkness in our lives when something harmful is happening? I like the darkness metaphor being pastor of this church, I get to sub- subject you guys to different kinds of torture. Um, I'm going to subject you guys to a, to a poem that that I wrote this week. It sort of fits the fall season. I think I actually shared it last night at the uh, Step One Coffee House. They have an open mic night from six to nine on Second Street. I was the only poem reader. The rest of them were doing country music. So, but I took Carolyn in there and and the boys. And uh, I thought about asking you guys if you could maybe... um, Listen to this and see. For me, this this sums up that, hey, even in the darkness, God's in control. Poetically, the sun did drop, a ball of crimson flame. Descend it did and left behind a star-pricked, blackened frame. Inside this frame, the night did live, the owls and bats and breeze... Seemingly another world emerged amidst the trees. The trees themselves did creak and moan, straining as to speak, swayed and bent and tossed about by wind eyes ever seek. The wind itself did not appear, invisible and free, rushed along by sovereign hands, hands we cannot see. So sleep I did, and soundly too, though darkness displaced light. I trust the mighty windmaster, Who guards me through the night. You guys? Good good clicking. You guys trust that God's in control even in the darkness? That he's working out his plan? That's where Peter's going with this. And he goes on to tell these people, hey, he just told them all the stuff Jesus did. He did these miracles. He died and rose again. There's another proof. He's like, David predicted this. And he's talking to a crowd of people that really thought highly of David. David was king when Israel was at its peak. You know how people talk about the economy under Bill Clinton a lot? Like, man, if we could get that economy back. People would talk about King David and King Solomon that way in Israel. That's when things were clicking, man. That's when things were humming in Israel. And he goes on to read this quote that David wrote in Psalms. He says, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Now, all that David could easily have been talking simply about himself, right? But then it gets sort of different. He says, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your holy one see decay, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. It sounds almost like David's not talking about himself anymore. He's, he's talking about somebody else, and that's what Peter's going to explain. He says, brothers, I tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. What's he saying? He's saying that whole part about he will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay, that's not about David. Okay, David died, and if you went to his tomb today, you'd find a skeleton. It's kind of like uh, Jaden today. We, we buried his first pet uh, last, about three or four months ago. Thankfully, it was just a fish. We're starting easy and working our way up. We buried it in the garden, and today we're sitting at the table. This was like five months ago, and uh, he said, hey, maybe we could go see Nemo. <laughs> we go dig him up and take a look at him, and... I and mean, Carolyn tried to explain that's not the best idea you know he, people use fish to like fertile, the, the pilgrims use fish to fertilize their garden you know they decay they break down if you flip that over today there'd be a skeleton he's like oh that's what they're saying about David you go to David's tomb you're going to find a skeleton this was not about David Peter goes on but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants okay this is about one of David's descendants on his throne seeing what was ahead David through the Holy Spirit got a glimpse into the future how cool is that he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ he spoke of the resurrection of his descendant Jesus Christ that he was not abandoned to the grave nor did his body see decay so Peter says that's what your own scriptures say now look how this was fulfilled God has raised this Jesus This Josh from Paulden, that's what they're hearing, right? This this Jesus from Nazareth to life. And we're all witnesses of the fact. That great prophecy you guys have all read for years, that's about this guy that grew up here. You, You watched him, that's him. And he goes on to another prophecy from another psalm. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Here it comes. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord. And here, what you want to read where Peter's going, and I won't walk in front of the speaker. Um, the Lord is the Father, the first one. My Lord is Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, the Father said to Jesus, sit at my right hand. That's a position of power. It's a position of authority. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Father said to Jesus, you sit at my right hand. The place of authority and power. And then Peter gets to the the crux of his sermon. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. And you, you can be sure they're, they're on the edge of their feet or their seats, depending on if they're standing or sitting. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Lord means he's your king. Christ means he's the Messiah, your redeemer, your savior. And you talk about the mother of all, oh no, what have I done moments <laughs> for these people listening. You ever have one of those? You do something, you're like, what have I done? What have I done? And on a lighter note, Matt and I, uh, about five years ago, we were on a trip back to Ohio. Christmas time, and we get lots of nice snow in Ohio. We thought it'd be great to go to a church parking lot in the neighborhood and, and do some Donuts. There's a police officer sitting in the same parking lot in the dark corner. (laughs) The same parking lot. (laughs) I don't know how we did that. I was driving. (laughs) So we get about three spins in, and the flashers come on in the same parking lot, and we look at each other. (laughs) The officer said, you guys are a little old for this, don't you think? (laughs) That was one of those what have I done moments. Uh, getting a little more serious. I don't know if you guys heard of the guy in Pennsylvania this week. They were having a uh, Halloween party. All the kids were dressed up. One little girl was dressed up in a black costume. It was about 8 p.m. at night. And, and she was out on a hill. The guy, they say he wasn't drunk. He got a shotgun and thought there was a skunk out there. Blasted away. She's okay now. No, no, no serious injury. She didn't die. But she's talking about another, what have I done? You know, I totally misread this situation. <laughs> You'd like people to know a little more clearly what they're shooting at, I, I think. This right here is the mother of all what have I done situations. When this crowd, the realization sets on them that this this Josh from Paulden that we just killed, he's, he's Jesus of Nazareth. He, he was, he's the king. He's the Messiah, the Christ that we've been waiting for, and we, we killed him. And I love their response in verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's what the Holy Spirit jesus said he would do he would come and convict the world of sin peter's preaching in the power of the holy spirit these people are being convicted by the holy spirit this cut to the heart phrase is like they were in anguish they they knew they needed help they knew they needed relief from what was coming to them because of what they did they were broken and they said to peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do what shall we do? And, and I hear their response, and I want to say a couple of things. One, it was totally dependent on the Holy Spirit convicting them. So as we talk to people we know that need Jesus, that's where we need to start. Holy Spirit, get them to that point where they will ask that question. What shall we do? But as we present the gospel, I think it tells us we need to be bold enough as we follow the Holy Spirit's lead to speak to them about their guilt to speak to them about their need because I think a lot of times we want to avoid that because we don't want to ripple the waters but, but people aren't necessarily going to say what do I need to do if, if all we tell them is hey God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life that's part of the message and that's a good part of the message but that doesn't automatically bring me to my knees and say wow what do I need to do it's like cool Hey, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. All right. Now, we've left out some of the message, haven't we? We're we're telling them part of it. Peter answers them. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this verse... I don't want to spend too much time wrestling with the the theological debates that have gone on because I think sometimes we lose that this was wonderful news to these people to hear, wow, there is something that can happen that can fix this. That There is a way out. This this had to be music to some of their ears, but I do want to break down briefly. Repent, it's, it's a change of heart, it's a change of mind about who Jesus is. Many of these in the crowd thought he was just a, a lunatic or a, or a deluded person or, or a power-hungry false messiah. They had to change their mind and heart and realize that this is the Savior that I need to count in, to trust in. Paul talks later on in Acts about deeds that come from repentance. Jesus talked about fruits of repentance. That's important because, number one, those two things are Connected, but they're also separate. There there are deeds and fruit that should come from that change of mind, but it's important that those are separate in those phrases because it's never our deeds that save us, is it? Paul said it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works. So we must keep those things connected but separate. Should there be fruit when we change our mind about who Jesus is? You bet. Is it that fruit that saves us? No, it's Jesus that saves us. Now there's another confusion about this passage. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Many have abused this this verse to say, hey, you got to be baptized in water in order to be saved. There's a guy in our church that had, had someone show up at his door, and not just do you have to be baptized in water to be saved, you've got to be baptized in water at our church. The guy asked the guy from our church, Can you trace your church back to the Apostle Peter? You know what the guy from our church said? He said, I can trace my church back to the book of Acts. <laughs> I like that. It looks on the surface like that being baptized is part of the deal, but you got something complex. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. The repent is plural, and the, for the forgiveness of your sins is plural. The be baptized is singular. The the sense of all that that just is like this. If you were talking uh, Jeff Foxworthy talk, y'all repent, everybody, y'all repent for the forgiveness of your sins. And each one of you who does, go ahead and be baptized. That's, how, that's a better translation of that passage. You all change your mind about who Jesus is for the forgiveness of your sins. And every one of you who does that, go ahead and be baptized. Baptism does not save us. We just talked about it's not by works you're saved. If, if you needed to be baptized, that would demolish so much of your New Testament, wouldn't it? It would say Jesus is not enough. It would say that thief on the cross wasn't saved because he sure didn't have a chance to be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Paul, just one more point about the baptism. First 1 Corinthians 1.17, he says something that would be really odd if baptism was required to be saved. He said, God did not call me to baptize but to preach the gospel of Jesus. Did Paul baptize people? Yeah. But wouldn't that be an odd thing for him to say if baptism was part of what it took to be saved? If baptism was needed, you could bet God called him to baptize people. But he's saying we're saved by the gospel, not by baptism. Baptism. You repent for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit. All these people have seen all this crazy stuff. Peter's saying this can be yours too. The Holy Spirit can come live in you. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And I look at those words there. He warned them. He pleaded with them. And I I wonder, does that characterize the way we talk to people about Jesus? Are we bold enough to warn people about an eternity in hell? Do, Do we care enough about them to plead with them and say, this is what's coming? If you don't trust in this Jesus... Do we warn people? Who's the last person you warned? What would happen if they didn't trust in Jesus? Who's the last person you pleaded with? Obviously, this is uncomfortable. It's led some in the modern church world to even deny hell's existence or the fact that those who don't believe in Jesus will stay there for eternity. They deny that flat out. They write books about it. That's not the answer to hell. Jesus didn't skirt around hell. You, you read through the Gospels, you'll see he, he talked about hell a lot. Was that because Jesus was insensitive or cruel? It was out of love. It was out of love. Nobody's looking at these, all the, all the news stations are warning people about this perfect storm, Right? Up in the northeast, people are telling them if this Hurricane Sandy combines with this cold front, we could talk, be talking about weeks without power, snowstorms, 12 inches of rain. Some cities I read could get more rain than they've gotten in 500 years. <laughs> I don't know how they even know how much rain people got back then. That was on CNN today. But nobody's looking at these stations that are telling, giving these warnings and saying, Gosh, these people are so insensitive and rude. I wish I just want to watch my sitcoms. Would they stop ramming this stuff about the perfect storm down my throat? They're so narrow-minded. No, what are they doing? They're going out and running to the grocery store to load up on water and generators and bread. And they're hunkering down and they're thankful, you bet, for the warning. And while the initial response to our warnings and pleadings about hell and God's judgment may not be favorably received, I want you to think of it in light of eternity. You know, how cool it'd be to be standing in heaven, somebody you warned and pleaded, and maybe that first two or three conversations was kind of awkward and maybe even got real tense, but eventually they believed and you're standing there. Are they going to be like, man, I can't believe what a jerk you were? <laughs> talk to me about hell oh, I know we're here for all eternity but I don't have time for you no they're going to be like thank you thank you for taking the time to do that just like these people in the northeast are thankful that they know what they need to do to protect themselves we need to be bold enough loving enough to warn and plead save yourselves by trusting in Jesus you look what happened in verse 41 and this is where we're going to close those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This group of early believers had been 120. Peter goes out and preaches the most politically incorrect message you could think of, but the Spirit's working, and 3,000 were saved. And you know what? They were baptized on the spot. And I just want to close with that. For them to be baptized in that day, for a Jew to be baptized in the name of Jesus, as it said in that earlier verse, that was to cut off all ties from their livelihood. The synagogue was the center of business and, and networking and relationships. And and they were saying, I trust Jesus enough, and I'm gonna hang with his people. I trust him enough that I'm gonna sever those ties and I'm gonna do it immediately. I think if some of those people were to look today. And some of the reasons we don't get baptized after we believe in Jesus, I I think they would scratch their heads. (laughs) What's the deal? You know, you live in a country where you're allowed to believe what you want. Uh, You're still going to be able to to have your business and you're still going to be able to live on your street. And the water's too cold. There's too many people. (laughs) Look, do you love Jesus or not? I think they would say, we risked our very livelihood on this. He's worth it. Baptism doesn't save us, but Jesus sure wants us to take that step. And for them, it meant everything. Lord, I I thank you for this example of bold preaching that Peter gave us. We need more of that, Lord. I think if we're all honest, we're we're a little timid sometimes. A little afraid to go there. And we want to make sure we do it in love. We've seen this abused too many times. Sometimes people get to the heart of the matter, but they really don't care about the people they're preaching to you or talking to you. That's not where we want to go, but we do want to love those that you put in our path enough that when the moment comes, we're, we're bold enough to warn them, plead with them. God, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that maybe hears about that warning and that pleading, and they say, wow, is that really what's coming if I don't trust in Jesus? And you're speaking in their heart, yes, it is, but I love you. You simply need to trust in my son, Jesus, that he died for your sin and rose again. Believe in me. God, I pray if there's anyone in here tonight that's in that boat, that they would take that step. God, just like these 3,000 who accepted that day and were saved. God, any in this room, in our community that need that, please bring them in. Uh, Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray that even as we give our offering tonight, God, it would be to that end. To advance that message and that kingdom into our community, into Asia, the Philippines. God, keep us on task. Keep us bold. Help us not to be politically correct, but to be biblically correct in you. In Jesus' name, amen.